It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Light it up on a Wednesday. Wednesday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. We are live, local and digital, on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of today's presentation. I am Jeff Howe. Craig Wade not in today. He's tending to THSCA business. I think that's in Waco. I don't remember where Craig said he's at today, but I know he's hosting a Texas High School Coaches Association panel. So it's two hours of us just trying to keep the hands at 10 and 2, not put this thing into the median or in a ditch, see if we can just get you to to the noon hour. When I say us, it's myself and the man behind the glass, the Colonel Cameron Parker. What's up, Cam? How you doing? Yesterday you said it was going to be two hours of debauchery. Is that still on the table today? That's always on the table okay. when Craig's not in. I'm telling you, the return cuts will sound a little different today, so... Uh, I know some people dig that whenever Craig is out. We can cut cut loose a little bit. So, uh, Specs text line is open, 337-3776. Longhorn Notebook at the bottom of this hour, inconceivable. Close out hour number one, Longhorn Notebook in hour number two. Flex update in hour number two. Your standard fare for Light the Tower, but plenty of things here, there, and in between to get you through the next two hours until we pass the baton to Chad and say, Kim, what did you do last night? you have a little round rock, round rock duty last night? Yellow round rock baseball. Uh District Go champions, Dragons. congratulations to Coach Carter and the boys. Wrapped up their district championship last night in a victory over Cedar Ridge. Travis Sakura, the UT signee and possible uh, first, second, third round draft pick. Talked to some scouts about him last night, but Round Rock got the victory. And then uh, got home and watched the end of the Suns-Clippers game. What's the uh, what's the scouts' opinion on Travis Sakura right now? Um, The word is basically after the first day of the draft, he will not still be on the boards. Okay. So what is the first day of the draft is what the like the first two rounds and the sandwich picks and whatnot? I think so, yeah. Or do they go three the first? I don't remember. But Okay, so basically he'll be off the board and the money will probably be. Yeah, it's just up to, to what be. he wants to do. That's what the scouts are like, just up to whatever Travis wants to do, decides whether or not he's at UT next season or not. Sweet. Uh, so, yeah, Cameron will keep you abreast of all that. Uh, MJ from Hearn. Yeah, we can we can have some card talk today at some point. Uh, I don't know if Cam. Uh, I don't think Cam is into the uh, very out of my card collecting thing. Yeah, he's I'd out of his element. Love to join in. Um, we'll get to that though. Uh, any nosebleeds, Cam? Somebody on the text line wants to know during the no. broadcast last night. You good? Yeah, yeah. actually, was, I had one during the show yesterday, mm-hmm. and that was it. So we we've been good so, so good. far for twenty four. Well, we'll see. You didn't have we'll to put see. a quarter or a penny on your nostril. Didn't, or? Couldn't find any pennies. Um, Still looking to find a penny, Jeff, since our last talk. <laughs> when, was the last, when was the last time you held a penny, saw a penny? Oh, man, I don't even – I don't because it used to be for vending machines, but now you, you can just use Apple Pay off your phone. So the last time – I don't – I honestly – I have to think about it. The, mo- the mobile paying has been sketchy to me always, but then I've uh, – MJ from Hearn, here's some, some brief part of it. For uh, some of my sports card transactions, I've started using PayPal. 
So yeah. I'm getting more familiar with the uh, kind of the unconventional methods of, of payment. So as Apple Pay kind of freaks me out. Really? Uh, it, it does, man. You know how I am with robots and AI and, and the robot, the, the impending robot war? just makes me a little nervous. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm lulling myself into a false sense of security. But I, I dig the, uh, the unconventional means of, of paying. Uh, yes, Texter, I mentioned it uh, a minute ago. Craig is uh, on THSCA duty today. He's hosting a panel discussion, so he's not here today. So it's just Cam and myself. Hey, uh I missed it. I missed the, how they got into the conversation or if maybe Bucky just brought it up randomly. Why was Bucky talking about Steve Wooster on the show this morning? Did he just bring that up randomly? I missed that conversation myself. Okay. Yeah, because it's worth mentioning. And then there was talk about Marty Akins, and it was kind of a just a Texas football smorgasbord towards the end of their show. I do think it's worth mentioning. Cam, one thing that I know you're not out of your element on is recruiting. How long have you been following recruiting Oh, in the Texas football realm? Like what was the first? What was the first high profile? This is how. Iron swoops. This is how. Yeah, this is how old you know a Texas football fan is if you say what's the first high profile recruitment you followed? Probably Tyron swoops. Swoops. Okay. I, I remember the ESPN.com feature story on swoops and all the records he was setting. At, um, White right. White right. Three A school. I, I remember, and actually, this is back when like you didn't have iPads in class. Like I actually printed out the article from ESPN.com, and my mom brought it from her work, gave it to the front desk so I could have it during, you know, reading time. That's what I'm talking AR about. Time. That's what I'm talking about. And, you know, back then, like a, you know, a couple words, it's like a seven pages printed out because internet, you know, was just a bunch of billboards and crap. How old were you at this point? Uh, so Tyrone Swoops committed to Texas in the spring of 2012. He was a member of the class of 2013. So how old were you, Cam, at that point? I'm, I'm, I was told there would be uh, no match involved today. 11 or 12. Yeah. All right, so basically your mom printing out uh, that article for you was the equivalent of me sneaking like a Street and Smith magazine into, into school, yeah. yeah, which I got uh, confiscated in math class one time. And, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I got a Street and Smith confiscated during math class, and I think that was eighth grade. That was eighth grade because that was me and my buddy, Sam Hobbs, passing it back and forth. I had to read about, you know— I think you're, that would have been uh, the 1997 season, yeah. So I was reading about Dre Bly in Tennessee, you know, in North Carolina, Tennessee, and Peyton Manning trying to get over the hump. Why was it confiscated for? Just because it's during math class? Because I had it out during math class. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because my buddy Sam Hobbs is an idiot and does a poor job of making things, doing things in a discreet manner. Mm. But that's, that's basically that, that like, how like how old are you? Like, what's the first high profile Texas recruitment that I remember? So for some people, it's Ryan Paralu. Uh My mine would be uh, Cedric Benson. Okay. Yeah, because I don't really remember all the whole mechanics of uh, of the Chris Sims, Corey Redding class. That was right when I really started to pay attention to it. But then when Cedric Benson committed to Texas, I remember that was a big big deal. I didn't. So I, here's a text. Ryan Paralu was the first time I remember following. Wow. I didn't have a membership to Orange Bloods back then. I don't think 247 was around, but I remember when I got my 247 membership. And that's yeah, when I really started, we got launched, We launched 24-7 in August of 2010. Yeah. So kind of kind of in that same. Probably right around that Tyron Swoops is when I started, you know, Googling Tyron Swoops and then seeing Horns 247 come up. Because then it was just 
when when you're a kid, I mean, now it's probably a completely different way recruiting's blown up with NIL. But then it's just like you only care about Saturdays. You don't really care about the next recruiting class. It's like, who is this guy? You just assume it's going to be good because it's Texas football. Yeah. Now it's completely different. I remember I remember talking to a, a high school coach of a, a pretty prominent recruit or that was that went to Texas around that time, and and we talked several years after the fact. This was this was post Mac. At this point, he's like, man, he's like, I just don't know if I gave my guy the wrong advice. I was like, what you, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I mean, it, he had a good career and, you know, he's he's done well for himself and he's got his degree. But I just remember telling him he was thinking about schools and he said us and the staff, we told him, you know, almost unanimously, man, just go to Texas because they're always going to be good. You know that. And that was not the case. What year was this? Uh, let's say... Let's say in the post Colt McCoy era, uh, I don't want to give yeah. away the I don't want to give away the year. It was post post Colt though. Yeah. Committed to Texas in the post Colt era. Okay, so this is what the te- one texter says: uh, some organization is doing a piece on the 50th anniversary of the wishbone. The reason why I mentioned why I wanted to bring up the Steve Wooster bit in recruiting. Don't lose sight of the fact that the 1967 signing class, known as the Wooster Bunch, that's regarded. I mean, in the dot com era, it's probably the class of 2002. 2002 was a, a really good year. It's a year I graduated high school. Um, but the class of 2002 in the dot-com era is regarded as the gold standard. If you want to talk about historic Texas recruiting classes, it's hard to argue against the 1967 signing class being the best in school history. Because that's back when freshmen weren't eligible. You had to play your freshman team or your JV team, uh, whatever ball, level of ball that was in college. Uh, but that class... They win the South. They win the conference in '68, back-to-back national championships in '69 and '70. Go down, go on that 30-game winning streak, still the school record. So that I mean, and, and you look, you know, that two-year run '69 and '70. Um, I mean, gosh, that like I said, that 30-game winning streak. Uh, it's it's hard to argue against that group being the best recruiting class in school history. Yep. So I don't like I said I don't know what prompted them to bring up Steve Wooster, but. 50th anniversary of the wishbone. What, uh, where'd you graduate high school from, Cam? William Amos Huff High School in Cornelius, North Carolina. Kind of offense did your, your high school run? Ran the RPO, so. RPO? Mm-hmm. Okay. We ran, we ran the, uh, like a modified, a modified version of the wing T. So I was, I'm still familiar with some of those old, old option concepts. But I think unless, unless you're like Liberty Hill, you're part of that slot T mafia, I don't know how many like true, I mean, most of your most a lot of your RPO offenses is just a souped up new millennium version of the option. Yep. But like, like unless Katie, right? Yeah, but unless you're running, you know, like I said, slot T at Liberty Hill, you're part of that slot T mafia. There's probably very few schools that are still running like true legit like old school died in the wool option offenses. I know in the syntax area, Liberty Hill and Glenn. Glenn recently just switched to the slot T offense, I believe. Now this is their second year, gone on their third year. But besides that. It's mostly RPO based. I got in a good conversation with this with a, a Round Rock uh, Booster Club member last night about how, and I love your input, Jeff. Like, is RPO killing high school offenses? No. Okay. Why would why would that be brought Just up? Just in terms of the predictability of it. No, the RPO. The thing, the the advantage of the RPO is the unpredictability. Because your tag, your your to boil it down to its simplest form. 
the RPO is basically you're tagging a run concept with a pass concept. We talked about this. Uh, the Longhorn Blitz podcast will be posted here in a little bit. But we talked about this on the Blitz this week. Like, that's the beauty of the RPO is people consider it the run-pass option. But the option to hand off, you know, a lot of people forget about that. So it, it, you, hear, like, you hear announcers, and the point Rod made, and it's a great point, you never hear announcers, whenever it's a handoff, you never hear them talk about it being an RPO concept. Like, even if you watch, you don't get to watch the all 22 angle, but even if you watch the pullback angle, like, you'll see whatever the pass tag is, whether it's a bubble screen or some kind of stick concept. They never say, oh man, that was a great RPO with a handoff. They always say, oh, that was an inside zone or whatever. Like, no, it's that's part of the RPO. It's the run pass option. The, the run is still a very big part of that. You yeah. still do have the option to hand off. So yeah, I would. I don't think it's running football. I think it's at the high school and college levels. I think you'd be foolish not to take advantage of it because your buffer zone, how far your lineman can be off the line of scrimmage before you can call the ineligible man downfield penalty. That buffer zone, you'd be foolish not to take advantage of it. It, it feels like in high school. If you have a solid quarterback, then the RPO can be a dynamite offense. I, when I look at um, like Westlakes and the Lake Travises, and even some like the teams that go to the state every year, they run a lot of RPO action, but it also feels like they have a dynamic playmaker at quarterback. You, and it feels like a lot of high schools that I watch that are kind of you know middle of the pack, borderline playoff teams that run RPO, they don't have their quarterback, and that kills their offense. The the thing, if you go back to like when when read options started to become a thing, kind of you know mid to late nineties into the early two thousands, when the read option started to become a thing, what a lot of schools did, especially at the high school level, because it's kind of rudimentary football, said, well, I mean, we can't have one of these sophisticated passing offenses. Just take your best athlete and put him at quarterback. Yeah, and and, and you know with the with the ability to manipulate the action at the mesh point. You can get him in some one-on-one matchups in space, and if he's your best athlete, depending on what level you're at and what competition you're facing, he might be the best athlete on the field. So, yeah, I'll take him one-on-one in space with a, a defensive end or a linebacker and see if he can make a guy miss and then go make a big play. Savion Red type offense. that Yeah, pretty much. Like It's basically what a lot of people would say would be like a Wildcat quarterback now. Yeah. That's basically what the, the old school, like the Rich Rodriguez – read option was all about and I wonder if high schools now would benefit more of just that type of style Jeff because it feels like a lot of just they just run out of their shotgun and they may have their may they may have their best athlete at quarterback but it doesn't mean your best athletes gonna be able to throw the ball 10 yards on the field in the hitch route every time true yeah I, I think it depends on well you at that point then your OC then you've got to figure out okay what passing concepts can we handle and if it's a majority of like screens and quick game and stick concepts or whatever then Okay, then then that's what your passing game is. Very rarely you're going to be able to throw bombs. What you what you smiling about, Cam? Did you just get a just some just, text coming in about what our discussion right now, and just some some high schools have had not so good quarterbacks, and they got to know <laughs> who I'm alluding to here. Yeah, I mean it's you know you, you've got to. I think trust. I think for coaches, and when again this is this was part of the the deal we talked about this in relation to Texas, like. In the spring game, you, we I think we saw a little more RPO stuff, and I think that's Sark, Trust, and Quinn. The trust between the play caller and the quarterback in an RPO offense, that above everything else, that's that's what it's got to be. There's just got to be trust there. Trent Dilfer, he appeared on a podcast, now the UAB head coach, but last year he talked about, and I think they were actually talking about Quinn Ewers in Texas last year during, during their struggles, but a quarterback is only as good as his play caller. And that speaks to volumes for me with, Ewers and his struggles last year under Sark, and I think some of it was 
maybe Sark got a little bit too ahead of his skis in thinking Ewers was a little bit farther ahead in his development. Maybe it was just Ewers wasn't taking it seriously, but that always spoke volumes to me. Yeah, I felt like there were times last year where you, you, you don't excuse some of the mistakes that Quinn made and some of his shortcomings, but we talked about it on this show. Like I, I felt, and I wrote it on the site and mentioned it on the Blitz podcast, there were games last year where I felt Sark didn't do enough to help him. Yeah. You know, like instead of just calling bomb after bomb after bomb, man, give him some quick game. Get the let him get the ball to, to Jordan Whittington in space. You know, let him let him facilitate, be more like a point guard, dish it out to his playmakers on the perimeter, and let your playmakers go make plays for you. Don't feel like you've got to make every throw. I think that's the the gift and the curse when you've got a quarterback like Quinn. Like when you've got a guy with his kind of arm talent. Yeah. It's we see we've seen the throws like you know, that Quinn can make. He can rip that, you know, from the, the shorts to from the field side. He can rip that that fifteen yard yep. out uh to the field side and put drop it in on a dime and just show you those throws that not only a handful of quarterbacks in the country probably can make the way he does and make it look that good. That have the arm talent, arm strength and, and ability to do that. But the catch then is you can get caught up in okay, we gotta show that arm off all the time. No you don't. No you don't. Sometimes a simple, a simple hitch or a quick screen, just something really simple can can be really good for a quarterback. Just get him in a rhythm, get him feeling good. Yeah, there are going to be some times where you can't show it off, but it doesn't need to be every play. Yeah, I wonder if Sark saw the throws that yours maybe makes in practice or in whatever and thought, okay, he's ready if we run this type of maybe, I don't know if complicated is the right word, but it, it felt like it was a grown-up offense for Quinn who wasn't grown up yet. And he spoke about it, you know, I think, during the, the – his interviews after the spring game and even after before the Washington game about how he kind of had to step up his his offseason training. And it looked like on Saturday, Jeff, I mean, the last two times we've seen Quinn Ewers play football against Washington and then the spring game, I know it wasn't against all starters, but you got to feel pretty confident about his progression and how he's maybe taking things a little bit more seriously. I mean, he even shaped the mullet off, for God's sake. It doesn't show you he's more serious about football than I don't know what else would. No, Quinn even said after the spring game, like when he had his meeting with Sark, it was kind of a kind of a come-to-Jesus meeting yeah. would be how he described it. And like, okay, if I want to get to the next level, what, like what do I need to do to get there? To work on, yeah. Basically, Sark just told him, hey, this is, this is what it's time for you to do. If you want to take this next step, it's not going to be easy, but here's what it is. And Quinn – by all indications, has done that. Uh, my man, Coach Powell, texting in. This is what we ran in Florence, America, Kim. And I remember this, that our wing tee was patterned after uh, Odessa Permian and what they ran. And I remember when we switched to that offense, because we ran like my sophomore year, we ran like a legit like old school wing tee that was very rigid, uh, very like, hey, if this, if this, if the defender's not in this exact gap when you pull, then it could screw the whole play up. So we went to some more zone blocking stuff. It was basically Odessa Permian's offense. And I remember we watched the 91, I want to say it was the 91 state championship game with Permian playing uh, San Antonio Marshall, who had a guy running back named Priest Holmes. I think he was going by Anthony who? at that point. Who? Priest? Priest Holmes? Yeah. He, was, he turned out to be okay, I think. A little bit, I think. I don't, I don't, know. I don't know what he did after high school, but I, I heard he did okay for himself. Uh, but anyway, that's what the coach was told. Was like, hey, if you want to know what we're what we're running, what we're getting ready to install, watch this tape. And I remember watching that two or three times, that uh, several times that uh, that state championship game with Permian and uh, and San Antonio Marshall. It's not like we had, you know, it's not like the internet had all these high school video archives that you could probably find now. Like that was the one tape we had to go off of. So 
It was fun. It was fun though. I really, I really, I really dug that offense. Uh, I mentioned that I'm, I'm, j- I've just now started to really trust PayPal, and somebody's texting PayPal question mark. Do you use a fax machine? Uh, well, I cannot remember. I needed the. What did I need to use a fax machine for? I want to say when I bought my house, which would have been in 2014. I think I had to use a fax machine for that. Uh, there might have been a couple, a handful of other times. Cameron, have you ever? Yeah, you're a youngster. Have you ever had to use a fax machine? No, I don't think so. Not one time you've never used a fax machine in your life. I haven't owned a printer uh, probably in like ten years. Because yeah. we have a printer here at work, and we ne- I don't have one when I was with my dad. Before that, just there wasn't really any point for it. I mean, yeah. Goodness gracious, man. I own a printer, but that doesn't work. I need to get a new one because it's one of those Wi-Fi printers, and it connect yeah. my, my my computer and my wife's computer are too new to connect to the old printer. I, I remember we had like a Dell printer when I was living with my mom, and I was probably like nine, ten years old, and it just never we it would work for like two sheets of paper, and then it would break down. And it's just like why don't you go to the library and pay twenty nine cents just to print it out? I think that's what you do now. Something like that, yeah. Um, this text said, come on, it's not brain surgery. If viewers can play, let him play. Don't complicate everything. I just think you need to find out what gets your quarterback into a rhythm. And, and it's different for different quarterbacks, right? Like Quinn is more of your traditional in-the-pocket passer. And, like, I don't – you say pocket passer, I think people envision, like, oh, he's he's Drew Bledsoe, he's Dan Marino, he's just a statue. Quinn's not a statue, he's an athlete. But I think what can get Quinn into a rhythm, I think it needs to be that quick game like we saw in the bowl game, like we saw at times last year. Quick game, quick game, quick game. Get him some quick throws. Let him get into a rhythm. Let him get into a rhythm. Let him establish some confidence. And then start to let it rip. Because I think the key for Sark this year is going to be you don't have the innate advantage that you had last year where teams were forced to commit an extra defender to the run because of the presence of Roshan and Bijan and the fact that you ran so much 12 personnel last year with one, one running back and two tight ends. You don't have that luxury now. That's not a built-in advantage. So now it's all about how quickly can you get that defense out of a two-high look, get them into a one-high look, and now you can start to go a little more vertical, start to take your shots down the field. I think the – and again, we talk about this on the blitz – the perimeter, the short perimeter passing game – especially your screen game, that can be your best form of the run game this year for Texas. I really, really think so, especially with the kind of guys you've got with whether it's Jordan Whittington or or A.D. Mitchell or Xavier Worthy, throw Jonte Cook in there too. The amount of guys you have that can catch the ball in space, get up the field and make something happen, that I think is going to be a really big part of the offense this year. It's critical, Jeff, because remember the TCU game? You know, the, the ugly TCU loss? I try to loss. forget that one, but yeah. Do you know what Quinn Ewer started? He started 0 for 7, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Texas started off, they had how many three and outs? Uh, one, two, three three and outs to start, and then Quinn threw an interception it on was his Sean, seventh. It was Sean Watson levels of bad. You can't, you cannot have that next season. And we talk about making things complicated. And just well, I'm pretty sure if Sean Watson ever saw me in public, he'd probably punch me in the face for bad thing I've said about Sean Watson over the years. Go ahead, Cam. You aren't, aren't the only one who said bad things about Sean Watson. <laughs> and some of that, that TCU start, I mean, Worthy had a couple big drops. Sanders had a couple big drops. And the interception, you know, who knows if that was just on yours or X, just run the wrong route or whatever. But the point is, is you can't, you're, I don't care who your quarterback is, starting off 0 for 7 with an interception is a bad recipe to win football games, especially against the number four team 
in the nation. So for for Ewers and for Sarkin, you know, coming in with you know another year of development for the defensive line, you have more weapons on the outside besides Xavier Worthy. You have Nair coming in. Ad Mitchell looked incredible in the spring game. You can't start off 0 for 7. You got to find a way to get your quarterback in a rhythm to start any football game if you want to have a good year. But did you, did, you, did you notice when the offense started to move the ball a little bit? In that when, second half? When Sark made the adjustment, what did they do? They started going to more quick stuff. Yeah. That's when they found Jordan Whittington. They got JT Sanders involved. Looking back at the box score, Whittington was 6 for 78. Sanders was 7 for 61 that night. And a lot of that was in the second half yeah. when Quinn started to hit him. They just, you just got too far behind. Yeah, and, and you defense know, got tired. Yeah, it's just you, you know, you, you ran out of gas at some point. But uh, no, we saw a lot in that game, Jeff. Well, a lot of just quick throws, bubble screens, right? Yeah, in the, in, the, in the second half, yeah. But you were already down big, yeah. and, and you just, it's like okay, it's almost like you. I think it's kind of. It's not a chicken or the egg thing. It's kind of like, okay, what was really going on? I think TCU was willing to give you that stuff because at that point in the game, it's like, okay, it kind of like Washington in the bowl game, right? Like, okay, you can you can move the ball down the field in six, seven-yard mm-hmm. chunks, but you're going to run out of time because you're, now your defense is gassed and we're starting to get momentum running the football, so you're just not going to have enough time to put together enough possessions, quality possessions, that you need to win. And we saw that happen in the bowl game. But that's a credit to Sark, too, to be able to take what the defense was giving you yeah. and, in turn, to help your quarterback understand, here's what the defense is giving you, here's where we need to go. That's why I like so much what I saw in the bowl game because I felt like that was, again, I know I'm repeating myself for people that listen to the show regularly. That's what I felt really got the offense going uh, was, was that quick game. It got Quinn in the rhythm. And, like, the point I was going to make a minute ago was you know, we've seen it with different quarterbacks, right? Like different different Texas quarterbacks – have needed different things to get them into rhythm. Like, like with Colt, it, it was the quick game. You go back Even like Sam. Like, well, no, like with Vince, it was more of, hey, just kind of let him be free. Like, don't don't constrain him. Yeah. You don't know, handcuff him. That's that old thing. Hey, don't you don't put a you don't put a saddle on a Mustang. You just you got you gotta let him roll. And with Sam, it was more of the quarterback run game. Like Sam needed to get you you had to how can I put this? You had to let Sam exert his physicality in a constructive way. Like that's what got Sam going. It was like the, Sam needed to get hit. He needed to he needed to get physical. He needed to get lathered up a little bit, and that's what got him going with some of the quarterback powers and the quarterback counters. And then you saw the offense open up from there. So I think that's what it is with Quinn. I think it's a quick game. We'll see if they can do a lot of that. I know we were a little bit all over the place there with some Texas football. We'll continue to take your feedback on the Specs text line, 337-3776. But it's good that we're talking Texas football. Let's just keep the conversation going when we roll over to the Longhorn Notebook here. Coming up next, on Light the Tower, on the Horn, live, local, and digital, on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. You think uh, Craig would be playing Warren G? We'd be doing this? Probably not. Usually I... I this Craig was in today? If you I had to the, pause there and make sure you got the clean version. Yep. So thank you for that, Cam. It's appreciated. If you regularly listen to the show, you'll notice the music choice is vastly different when Craig's here 
and when it's just Jeff. Yeah, I was thinking about underrated rappers this morning on my way. And Warren G is very underrated. Like, if you bought that album just to listen to Regulate, like, you missed a really, really good album by Warren G back in the day. I've told you my Nate Dogg story, right, Cam? Because I was a big Nate Dogg fan back in the day. Okay. Like, Nate Dogg's had a bunch of really good hooks and Regulate's probably what he's most famous for. Some um, maybe, great stuff maybe the with next episode. Okay, so Nate Dogg passed away several years ago, and his son was in the, uh, I don't think we were still the, I don't know if we were the Army All-American Bowl, if that was the first year we were just the All-American Bowl. But regardless, I was down in San Antonio, and his son was in the game, and it was, it was a media availability, and nobody was talking to him, and I go up and introduce myself, and we just start shooting the breeze. And you remember that scene in Office Space where the bobs are just verbally beating Michael Bolton down about Michael Bolton's music. That's pretty much what I did to Nate Dogg's son <laughs> about how much I appreciated what his dad did. And which, uh, which, you know, which song of your dad's is your favorite? Like, oh, I don't know, man. They're, they're all pretty good. I'm like, I almost call myself like, you're damn right. They're all good. So yeah, I, uh, I was the Bob's and Nate Dogg's son was Michael Bolton in that scenario. Specs text line is open. Three, three, seven. What, what happened to his, uh, his football career? Nigel Hale, I started it. I want to say he ended at Montana State, I think. Is it the home of Danny Davis? Or no, is... Danny. Oh, boy, if Danny heard that, he, he'd drive down oh, okay. here. So he's Montana. There. Danny right. is a Montana Grizzly, yes. Okay. Grizzly. Nigel Hale did end his career at, uh, Sorry, at Montana Danny. State. A- anytime I see Montana or Montana State, stuff come across my timeline, I know exactly where it's coming from. It's coming from Danny Davis's Twitter account. I uh, I once saw Danny Davis. It's worth noting that this coach who did this is no longer employed at the University of Texas. I once saw Danny Davis get ripped into across a practice field by a Texas coach for Danny's hat, which was assumed to be a Texas A&M hat, but it was a Montana, Montana. Grizzlies oh, hat. Oh, man. Yeah. They had the same colors. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, it's not that big a deal, but... I thought it was comical, like, wow, you really spotted that hat from that far away, and it's a big deal. So It's like that 50 cent mean, you know what? Why do you say F54? You know, the same thing with Danny Davis. Yeah, um, I'm sure people in their cars right now are listening on the app. I'll give you two guesses who the – I'll give you three guesses who that coach was, and the first two don't count. It's one of those type deals. Uh, let's go and get in the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff House, Jeff House, Longhorn Notebook. Ah, a little, little skippage on there. A little, little shaking it up on the ones and twos, Cam. Yeah, a little in, in honor of Nate Dogg and there you go, Warren G. A little DJ action. I like, I like getting the dispatch from my buddy Sam Hobbs, who let me know that uh, yeah, he's not a very sneaky person. I know because Miss Plant, the math teacher, probably still has that Street and Smith. So, not that I want it back or need it back. But and by the way, she speak, kept it. Yeah, oh, we never unfair. saw it again. Uh, by the way, Sam Hobbs. Still has somewhere my 2002 Sports Illustrated College Football Preview. As much as, you know, we were supposed to not like Oklahoma, that's one of the best SI preview covers I've ever seen because it's Tommy Harris and it's, like, in the rain and he's got, like, mud on his uniform. Dude, it's an awesome cover. And, like, plus where I grew up in Florence, America, Tommy Harris went to Colleen Ellison. Shout out to Mike Harge. Uh, Tommy Harris is, like, to me, the gold standard of defensive tackles in this state. I really wanted it. Bill Sam Hobbs like, hey, let me borrow that, and that oh, was yeah. uh, that was in the summer of 2002, and I never saw that magazine again. So you owe me a 2002 Sports Illustrated college football preview. Sam Those Hobbs, are my my favorite right Sports Illustrated magazines. Was the college, college football, football preview. preview. 
that's how I knew I was a college football junkie because I would buy as many college football magazines as possible. I would get Sports Illustrated, ESPN the magazine was a thing at that time. Uh, yeah. j- just started uh, Street and Smith, Athlon. Uh, that was right around the time I discovered Phil Steele, and now Phil Steele is the only one I buy. But yeah, uh, that's uh, that's good stuff. From there was some back great, in the day. some great Texas ones from. And a lot, a lot of it was OU Texas. It felt like every every year for a while in the 2000s, the SI, the, the magazine that was released after the Red River rivalry game was either going to be Oklahoma on the cover if they won, or Texas if Texas won. And for a while, it was you know it was a f- combination of Colt McCoy and, and Jordan Shipley and <laughs> you know Vince what I Young. You know what I did in high school one year? It was after the 2002. Uh, no, it was the 2000, the 2001 game. Uh, it was the game where I lost a bet. What I've told the story on the show before known as the Pablo Nacho incident, but it was Jimmy Wilkerson hitting Chris Sims, like sacking Chris Sims and like the ball was coming loose. I went around to the library and everywhere I could find that cover in school and tore the cover off of all the sports illustrators that we, yeah. Uh I sure did. Great picture. Um, No, it wasn't. If you're an Oklahoma fan, it was a great picture. If you're a Texas fan, you, uh, you don't want to remember. Yeah. I remember in the library going up and finding it and tearing the cover off. For me, good times. I that was my civic duty. I I figured at that point. I didn't tear it off, but the Mark Ingram Dynasty Sports Illustrated cover after the 2009 National Championship game. That was one. I think I, I still have it, but it was like, come on, Colt got injured. Dynasty, get out of here. And then three years later, it's like, yeah, okay, they were they were right. I'll I'll give the guys who get paid money. Uh, Is that credit. like, I don't. I know anytime I mention that game, that game gets mentioned. It's like opening up Pandora's box. Yeah. It's just like reopening the wound. Is that the one game for Texas fans that's just like you just think you're in a bad dream and you're like, I'm going to wake up pretty soon at some point. Like, I'm going to wake mm-hmm. up, and then you realize, no, this is really happening. Yeah, it's it's one where it's like your brain almost can't compute it properly because it's just like, no, 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 no. Like, we, we win this game. Like, we – we win this game, e- even all the way to the very end when Garrett Gilbert's rolling out to the right. And I think people forget that. Like, Texas had the ball in a one-possession game. I think people forget that part. Gilbert had five turnovers combined, interceptions, a lot. and Texas had a, a three-point game. When I was at Longhorn Network as an intern, uh, it was before – oh, no, actually, Greg McElroy was coming on um, Longhorn game day, and so I put together a little um, FOSOT package of the 2009 BCS game. And I had to go through it and clip off from that entire game, Jeff. A pretty traumatizing experience because I had not watched that game all the way through since the original outing. And it's like, man, we there were so many windows where Texas could have won this game. Yeah. You got to get credit to Alabama for eventually just taking the putting the foot down the fourth quarter. But I mean, if one or two of those Gilbert turnovers just goes the other way, like did, I've tried to block a lot of that game out. Did Malcolm Williams drop a touchdown pass in that game? A little bit. It was. Almost overthrown a little bit, but it, it went through his hands. Okay, the the moment for me in that game, somebody just uh, brought Marcel it up. Darius, thank you. Was the uh, yeah the uh, the screen pass? Yes, the picks or the shovel, the pick six shovel pass. Ugh. Uh, you, you know why why I'm bringing this up? Because last night I'll tell you one Texas game that I still have not watched all the way through. I refuse to go back and rewatch it. Texas Tech. No, the 2009 Big Twelve Championship game, yep. where Indomitian Sue just. Yeah, I mean, just ragdolled Colt McCoy all night. Texas won the game, yep. but it's one of those ones where you won, but it's like, yeah, don't, don't really know if you – I mean, you could celebrate going to the championship game, but, man, thank goodness that's over. Yeah, it was a very 
ugly game. I still remember where I was at and how I felt after Colt McCoy's pass got out of bounds just in time and seeing Pelini walk onto the field, you know, saying game's over, there's no time left. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, it was close. And then the, the kick to go ahead and, and win it. That ugh, ugh. I, I, I had DVR'd it because I was out on the road covering a, a game. I was covering a recruit. Uh, I want to say was I at uh... – Man, was that a Dallas Skyline DeSoto playoff game at SMU? Maybe I was. I was at that night. But anyway, went home. Then went home that night. Watched the next day. Deleted it and have refused to go refused back to and watch, watch the rest of it. Because I was like, "Come on, Sue couldn't have been that good." And I was like, "Oh, oh man, Sue really was that good." I thought he should have been your Heisman winner that year. There's an argument that he, that he should have been because 2009. That was the Radford. M- Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram. Mm-hmm. That's right. Bradford was the year before. Toby Gerhardt was a finalist that year. Oh, he was a god in NCAA football 08, uh, <laughs> 2010. Just rode the glory mail to Toby Gerhardt, Stanford. Oh, my God. You're getting 200 yards every game out of him. Not, not Probably not as good as uh, Ricky Williams was in NCAA football 99. Never had to play just that run, one. Just run, that was on the old PlayStation, the original PlayStation. Just run a halfback toss the whole time. You'd, go, you'd rip off like 4,000 yards in a season. First one for me was probably 0405 and just – Having Finn Chung in the shotgun and just running with him on every play, mm-hmm. and just going ninety six yards touchdowns every every drive. I've told you the drinking game me and my buddies played in college. No, that game. you uh, you had to take a touch every touchdown you gave up. That's a shot, and then you could do the two point conversion for double or nothing. Oh, yeah. oh, I've been getting some some serious trouble on some of those nights. There was there was. Some of those where I I don't remember second halves of some of those. Drink responsibly, kids. Uh, anyway, um, hey, one thing I do want to bring up, Cam, because my colleague Chip Brown wrote about it at Horns twenty four seven. You can go to Horns twenty four seven right now. Uh, you know we've got some some recruiting information up there. We're talking basketball recruiting. We've got football team stuff, all kinds of stuff. Uh, plenty of recruiting is up there. And also, we're keeping you updated on the roster tracker. So if you want to know where Texas is on scholarships right now, who's uh, who's come in from the portal, who's jumped uh, jumped out of the portal or left the program via the portal. We, we're keeping a running tally of all that right now. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? What was I talking about before I mentioned this? Chip oh, Brown's latest piece. Yes, Chip's latest column. Thank you, Cam. Uh, is about Trill Carter and just looking at the fact that, you know, Sark made a really good find in the transfer portal. It's the overarching theme of the portal for me. Um I've said, and I said yesterday, the portal's a luxury for Texas now. It's not a necessity. And I don't know where you are with this, Cam. I think if Texas is going to take people out of the portal, even if you're looking at positions like, I think edge is the one exception, but I think like pretty much tight end and any other position outside of edge where I think you can take a one-year guy. If I'm Sark, if it's not a two-year guy, I probably, I probably don't take a guy. And the reason why I say that is if you're going to take a guy from the portal, like the scenario I laid out with Trill Carter yesterday, right? Like, you could lose Murphy, Sweat, Broughton, and Collins. You could lose all of them. There's a possibility you could lose all of them after this year. I don't think you will, but there's a possibility of it. So you still need a veteran that's a part of your rotation this year that you can count on being there in 2024. I think it's the same thing, like, with tight end, right? I don't think any of us expect JT Sanders to be here beyond the season. He's draft eligible after the 2023 season. He's going to be one of the top few tight ends taken in the draft if everything goes right this fall. I wouldn't count on JT Sanders being back in 2024. Maybe he is, but I wouldn't count on it. But if I'm Sark, if I take a tight end out of the portal, I want to take a two-year guy. That way 
he's competing with Juan Davis and Gunnar Helm this year. And then next year, if you do lose JT Sanders, okay, well, now you've got three guys that have that are ingrained in your system that you can that have been trained properly that know what to do that you know what you've got and you don't have to say oh man we're scrambling to find a one year guy no 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 it's not a it's not a panic situation because you took a two year guy i think maybe the same thing like if there's an offensive lineman that has multiple years left that you feel like can help you down the road do it there linebacker is a position where maybe like with Trill Carter maybe he's a buffer if you feel like and maybe because uh, you're going to lose Jalen Ford after this year. You know David Bend is gone. Maybe you feel like, okay, maybe Anthony Hill and Leunga LaFau are ready, but we don't have any other linebackers. Let's bring in a, a multiple-year guy now, so that way now we've got multiple guys competing for those two spots. So I don't know where you are with it, Cam. I just think that's how I'm viewing the portal. If I'm Sark, I, Edge is the only spot where I'm looking at a one-year guy. Or if that one-year guy is just – if he's just so good that you'd be foolish not to take him – like just like best case scenario of it possible, then I'd take a one year guy. But other than that, I'm I'm looking at two year guys in the portal. Is that why you think Texas is not targeting Bear Alexander? No, I think Texas is well, Texas is targeting Bear Alexander, but I mean that one's got I think that's gonna end up being in USC. A pretty lucrative NIL deal that's gonna yeah, end up at okay. USC. And I mean look, it's one of those deals, right? Like a, a guy the caliber of Bear Alexander doesn't go into the portal unless he's got a pretty good idea of where he's going. I don't think it's a coincidence that from the Georgia side, the minute he jumped in the portal, all the smoke was about USC. There's other schools, obviously, that are going to be involved, but all the smoke was about USC. It seems like, back to your point about one or two of your guys, for offensive line, it seems like if you're going to target an O-line in the portal, either your O-line is decimated or you're going after a graduate transfer who can start immediately. And the same thing for the, for the interior guys. It's like a position he's the, like where he's you, the missing piece. Yeah, it's, it's a position my where – My voice cracks. Sorry about that. It's a position where I feel like you, you need a couple years of development, really. It's not one – it's not like a quarterback where you can pull a Keaton Slovis or JT What's-His-Face over at Pittsburgh and USC and Georgia. What's his name? JT uh, – uh, who cares? Where you can just go from – Program the program in, in plug and place, right? Oh, you're talking about JT Daniels. JT Daniels. Yeah. I'm going to say JT Sanders, but that's not him, obviously. D-line and O-line, it doesn't seem like you can really do that because you got to find a way to fit into your, your gap and yeah. the scheme, unless, like you said, you're that missing piece. Like, but usually, it's, I feel like it's almost only offensive line, like with uh, Parker Braun, the former Georgia Tech transfer. Calvin Anderson. Calvin Anderson, yeah, from yeah. Rice. I'm trying to think of what are the portal offensive linemen Texas has taken. I'd have to go back and look at it. I don't think they took any other portal linemen. I can only think of two off the top of my head. Yeah. Well, like we said, like like we talked about yesterday, like you look at Sark's first year, like they took a lot of guys out of the portal just because in some spots they just needed bodies. Right. They just had to get scholarship bodies. And you appreciate the efforts of those guys. But now you've done such a good job of recruiting. And based on what we saw in the spring game, it looks like your player development, I'm not going to say they figured it out because – the proof will be in the pudding on that, but for the first time in a long time, I feel like from a player development standpoint, I feel like I can comfortably say they're on the right track. They're headed down the right path. But for that to matter, the wins have to be there Mm -hmm. this year. Because if they're not, we've all seen the same song and dance before. If Texas goes 7-5 and this year, then we all know what the chatter's going to be going into 2024, especially your first year in the SEC. So, you need a nice ten. You need a nice nine or ten win season this year. Get yourself to Arlington and and be in the mix. That's what you need to for I think for the the masses to want to see you see this thing through.
you brought up the tight end spot, and I think we can all agree Sanders is gone, but they didn't find that. By the way, that's not inside information for me. That's just me being realistic. Just watch JT Sanders play football. But Texas didn't pick up that pass-catching tight end in this last class. They had a couple of good blockers come in. Gunnar Helm's already been there. Um, What's-his-face, Arch Manning's high school teammate. Will, Rand- you- Will, Will Randall. Will Randall won't even help you this year because he's yeah. coming off the ACL. And then plus Juan Davis. But it feels Spencer like – Spencer Shannon will be here during the summer, too. He'll get here with that next wave of guys. And you still have the upcoming recruiting class plus the transfer portal, but where are you at in the tight end position in terms of what it could look like if Sanders leaves and leaving the hole that – Sanders will leave after he heads off to the NFL. I, I think they've got some good developmental guys, but I think even with the losses you're going to sustain at wide receiver after this year, I still think you'll go into 2024. Assuming you don't add another body at tight end, I think you're positioning yourself to be a predominantly 11, 11 personnel offense, maybe a 20 personnel offense okay. in 2024. That's, that's for Sark to figure out. And it – Again, when you look at what's going to be, you're going to run a multitude of personnel packages. But for me, it's like like last year with 12 personnel. What benefited you more, an extra tight end or an extra receiver on the field? Well, considering the issues you had at receiver, it made more sense to double down on the advantage you had in the run game and bring an extra tight end in as a blocker. That's why Gunnar Helm got so much work. You don't have that advantage in the run game. Your advantage is on the outside. So now it might benefit you more to be an 11 personnel offense. You're saying, hey, Instead of one running back, two tight ends, let's be one running back, one tight end, three receivers, so we can get another one of these playmakers on the field. So I, I think that's that when you when your personnel doesn't all line up, and very rarely are you going to have a year like Texas in two thousand five, where to whatever personnel grouping you want to run, just, just run it. It doesn't matter at that mm-hmm. point. Most years you're going to have to figure out. Okay, we can be. This needs to be our base personnel group because this maximizes what we've got. But then you're you're still going to run. 12 or 21 or 20, whatever you're talking about. You're still going to have to run just to keep defenses honest. And and you've got enough versatile weapons at the skill positions to be able to motion guys out and do some different things with your formations to keep defenses honest. But just figuring out what that, that base, that primary personnel package is going to be, that's totally personnel dependent. But if you've got an offense like Sark where you have the ability to, to be malleable and, and flip in and out of different personnel groupings, it shouldn't be a problem as long as you just make the right decision and Sark, if, if you're yeah. the guy in charge. Sark loves those big tight ends, dating back to O.J. Howard, Alabama. And I'm curious to see where he goes. Yeah, he had Austin, he had Austin Safarian Jenkins at Washington. Oh man, yeah, yeah. So you forget you forget all the, some of the good tight ends Sark has had. I mean, he's had so many dang good playmakers during his time at from going back to even when he was at USC, just as a quarterbacks coach, all the way through Alabama and Texas. He, he's had a lot of talent to work with. Dominique Bird at USC was a really good tight end for them. Back in the day, um, let me check something real quick. Uh, no, I was thinking it was Tony Gonzalez with the Falcons when Sark was there, but he was long retired by the time Sark got to Atlanta. But at any rate, Hayden Hurst, if I remember correctly, was it Hayden Hurst? Okay, I'll, I'll check that during the break. But at any rate, we uh, we are up against it. Got to take a break. Inconceivable to close out our number and get it not our number one. Did I, did I talk right? Am I tongue tied today? Get us out of our number one and into our number two here on Light the Tower. On the Horn, live, local, and digital. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. We'll start Inconceivable with a contribution from one Cam Parker. Cam being a, making himself a part of the presentation today. 
What do you got, Cameron? So, Jeff, where have you been at with uh, watching golf the last two weeks? Just you curious. know, I, uh, you, I'll tell you what my best naps are, the golf nap. Yeah. Where, like, it's a lazy Saturday. You just put it on whatever golf tournament, and you kind of conk out on the couch. The golf nap is mm, chef's kiss. It's awesome. So that kind of offends me, but you know, we'll, we'll move past it. But anyway, you, you, know, you know why my favorite major is the Open Championship? Because the British the, accents? No, by the time I wake up, all the, the riffraff is done. I'm just watching the important stuff. That's true. Yeah. It also starts at like 4 a.m. our time. So, like, you wake up, get your coffee, and, you know, you're on the back nine of a major championship Sunday. I love that. Yeah. Now, I'm curious, how, are you familiar with Patrick Cantley at all? The uh, Yes. Okay. So, he's been under fire. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're an avid golf watcher and if you've been to the match play and watch Patrick Cantley, you'll know he's a very... Slow, deliberate, deliberate. Like Sergio Garcia thinks Patrick Cantley needs yes, to speed it up a little bit. That's beautiful. Yeah. So now, eventually, it, during the Masters, because he played in the group in front of John Robin Brooks Kepka with Victor Hovland. And if you noticed, you're probably wondering if you aren't too much in the golf, wondering why is Brooks and Rom just waiting on every tee shot? Well, it's because Patrick Cantley was in front of them. And eventually, like, now it's not just golf Twitter that's gotten into it, it's all of sports Twitter realized this guy plays slow. So last week, the RBC Heritage out in Hilton had. Uh, South Carolina, Patrick Cantley was in the final group with Jordan Spieth and Matthew Fitzpatrick. Now, the fans have really gotten into it now and are chirping Cantley for a slow play. Even Cantley made a joke about it himself after a hole-in-one. like, look at me, I'm playing faster. But he still plays slow as heck. So a video was caught on Sunday, Jeff, of a fan as Patrick, you know, tees off. A fan recording. He's like, all right, Patty, hurry up. Let's pick it up. Let's pick it up, Patty. Patrick Cantley's longtime caddy, Matt Minister, walking by, gives him the uh, the middle finger, Jeff. This is caught on video of Patrick Cantley's caddy giving uh, some fans the bird during Sunday's round because they can't handle the heat. But maybe just play a little bit faster. Yeah, just pick it up a little bit, dude. But I love when we get caddies, when we Chir- get reactions from caddies. The, the from, yeah, That's good stuff. That's um, my that's my contribution. I got to bring in golf at, at some point. In this do show. we need like the baseball equivalent of the, the golf equivalent of the pitch clock in golf? Uh, actually, a good idea is to just have like a shot clock monitor just for Patrick Cantley and just like have it out there. And every time you've, you got forty seconds, and if you don't swing by the time the forty seconds is up, you get a penalized. How about you get one warning? The second one is a cattle prod to the tenders. There you go. And then like that'll make you speed it up. So the, the tour is they're so player friendly <laughs> that. Like even if you get put on the cock on the ooh, if you can get put on the clock. There we go. Whoa. There's a big slip. <laughs> took a took a pause at the wrong point there, Cam. Even if you get put on the clock, <laughs> like you're not gonna get penalized. Oh man. That that was inconceivable. How about that, Jeff? That's a good way to wrap up the story. I hope, I hope there's a one of the two shows after us, or maybe B and E tomorrow morning plays that. Just can re rack that a little bit. A good thing I'm a producer. I can just delete that from <laughs> no, the face of the No, leave earth. it in. Gotta leave our embarrassing stuff in. Uh, I've got one before we shut it down here. All right. Uh, you know that I love when animals do human-like things. Uh, this is in British Columbia. A bear broke into a woman's car overnight, and. Rated 69 nice cans of soda from her car. Uh, Sherry Rose, Sharon Roselle, she is a, uh, a business owner. She she makes it a habit because she does live in a fairly remote area where there are bears. So she makes it a habit to not leave like food or anything like that in the car. She didn't think twice about like soda. She's like, okay, what bear is going to be attracted to soda? Uh, apparently this bear was. 
And this bear crushed a large amount of orange crush. Mm. Uh, apparently, apparently, the bear stopped. He smashes the window, gets in. I guess the bear's just sitting there, just boom, popping the top on cans of orange soda. He stopped apparently once he started drinking Diet Cola and oh, okay. just there took go. off. So get this, get this bear some zero cola, if you will. Like, There's a distinct difference between the zero soda and the diet soda. Um, Jeff, it, real quick, what's more inconceivable, the bear breaking in and drinking soda or a human being having 69 cans worth of soda pop in their car? Well, she's a business owner, though. So like uh, she was, she, she just okay. didn't uh, didn't transport the cans inside because she didn't think she needed uh, to. Yeah. Um, but this bear probably in line for diabetes if you're drinking 69 cans of soda. Bear, human, whatever. I don't think that's probably good for your your blood sugar. Cocaine bear too dealing with diabetes. <laughs> Di- diabetes bear doesn't sound like it, it would be nearly. It doesn't have nearly the bite to it as a film title yeah. like Cocaine Bear okay. does. It's like Wilford Brimley as a bear. By the way, my dad... Diabetes and diabetes testing supplies. My dad did watch Cocaine Bear. Thumbs up. I still have to watch it. So. Okay. I like the reviews that are coming in. Um, damage to the car included ripped leather. Yeah, she had white leather in her car, too. Oh, so. man. I'm sure that looked nice with the orange crush. Ripped leather, a broken window roller, and sticky residue everywhere. She's hopeful that her insurance will pay for some of this. Quote, I never thought it could smell it being the bear. Pop through a can, Roselle said. Well, apparently it can, and apparently bears love themselves some orange soda. Who likes orange soda? Kel does, and apparently bears do as well. All right, that's going to do it. We're already into hour number two, but we'll come back and really get into hour number two. Hour number one of the books here on Light the Tower, on the Horn, live, local, and digital, on the Horn app at hornfm.com. the tower your daily look around the world of sports with hall of fame broadcaster and voice of the texas longhorns craig way and horns 24 7 insider jeff howe on your live local and independent home for sports talk in austin the horn dude that was like the longest break in the history of radio good lord how long was that break cam i mean we're only like half an hour behind our usual show right now. It, it was a long break, yeah. About four minutes. Not too bad. It didn't seem like it was 14. Like, I'm sitting here just twiddling my thumbs. Jeez. All right. Well, in hour number two here on Light the Tower on the Horn, Jeff Howe, Camera Park. Craig out today. Craig is uh, handling some THSCA business. Specs text line is open 337-3776. Uh, we'll, we've got a Longhorn Notebook and a Flex update. A Flex update that uh, I will be contributing to today. Oh. Yeah. I got a, I got a Flex contribution. Uh, Specs text line is open again. We'll uh, we'll have uh, we'll get some feedback here. I've got a stoner wrote a novel, so Cam, but Tam, this is for you. This is a question for you. Okay, so the tour does the, does have rules in place against slow play. Uh, what they lack is the balls, yeah, the testicular fortitude mm-hmm. to actually enforce them. Why? Because it's an independent contractor having rights. That employees do not, i.e., lawsuits if the tour makes money out of their pockets. Cam, any thoughts on that? That's a lot, but Stoner, we appreciate the the text. No, I mean he, he's right. They just don't enforce it. I mean, 
look at the Masters this last two weeks ago with the slow play. They've only penalized, I believe, one player in slow play in recent memory, and it was a 14-year-old Asian amateur. They still got that that gimmick where like people can call in and uh, for a, like a penalty, like a stroke penalty and stuff like that. I think they changed that um, recently over some rules infraction. Because was that uh, Tiger had it happen to him at the Masters? Maybe? Yes, and, and he was was, it, was yeah. it Dustin Johnson maybe at a U.S. Open mm-hmm. or Dustin or Johnson. PGA. It was. It, I believe it was. I can't remember. If it was the U.S. Open PGA. But I know it, it was it a Pebble Beach. A, I, know, I know it was a Pebble Beach. It did cost him a major championship because he grounded his club that was deemed a waste bunker, which you can't do in professional golf. Because some joker sitting at home had nothing better to do than calling a. Hey, rules are rules, right? But it, it's like when you play pickup basketball, right? And some guy on the, on the bench is like, "Hey, if it was on the line, he's out of bounds." It's just like, all right, cool. Sit in the bench. Like, or is that like when you're bowling and your toe slips over a little bit? Well, I don't know about bowling. I haven't, I haven't Over the line. Shut Are up, Donnie. Too... Thank you. Was... You're out of your element, Donnie. I was, wait... I was waiting for you to chime in on that. Smokey, you're entering a world of pain. Uh, this texture said the, the way I described the inside of that car after the bear got soda everywhere with the sticky residue and the torn leather said inside of that car sounds like a date night. Yeah. All right. All yep. Right. I always like going there with the text. Uh <laughs> Said maybe that bear was marijuana bear and he had the munchies. Sugar high bear, says Tom Emily Wolf fan. Eric Rains, shout out from down the hall at Coke FM. Eric Rains sent me a dispatch, and I did, I do remember this because we talked about it on the show not too long ago. The, the back when Baylor had a live mascot at one point in time, they uh, their their bears would drink Dr. Pepper. It was Dr. Really? Pepper Waco, yeah. But apparently, uh, their teeth were starting to rot because of the soda, and PETA got all up in arms, so. The Bears can no, could no longer drink Dr. Pepper. Have you ever looked at the PETA Twitter account? No, but now that you mention it, I will. Uh, is there something particular I should be looking for? By the way, Cam pointed me out to this. My Twitter, like, right, I'm looking at the uh, Corpus Christi Hooks uniform for oh, tonight. Very clean. The Honey Butter Chicken Biscuit Whataburger uniforms. The Hub Chub uniforms. Yeah, those are awesome. Uh, so I'm looking for PETA's Twitter account. I don't know if they have anything recent, but. Over the years, they've had some just very asinine tweets when it comes to the food you're eating. I believe for Thanksgiving, uh, they put out a series of tweets about, um, you know, why it's wrong to eat turkeys and all of that stuff. And so if you do celebrate Thanksgiving and you do consume turkeys, um, just letting you know PETA is against that, by the way. So maybe think twice, guys. Well, maybe in that instance, PETA can suck it. (laughs) So there. How about that? that? See, the best part about that. Is the Twitter replies is that's why that's what Twitter's great for. It's just the replies for a lot of stupid tweets and uh, a good day for for Twitter was the replies in that one. A lot a lot of suck it type uh, mindsets. Mil- like I'm seeing this one it says milk is for babies, dump dairy, and it's a bunch of babies like an inflatable costume. Well, I mean, who like what grown what person past the age of I don't know, like unless you're eating a cookie or something. Like what person just regularly drinks milk with their meals? Or just regularly drink some milk. I do. Do you really? Protein shakes. That doesn't. No, that doesn't. That's, that doesn't okay. count. I don't, I'm I don't like you. Just pour you a glass. Like oh yeah. Oh, I'm sitting around. I think I'm gonna get a glass of milk. Nobody does that, right? Unless I'm eating like Oreos or exactly. Cookies. You got if you're eating something sweet, uh, a glass of milk goes a long way. Usually, I just do it for because whole milk has a lot of protein and it. it's good with protein shakes or oatmeal or yada yada yada. But yeah, that doesn't count. It's... Okay. 
I you know what the only time I swap out my milk is when I get a latte at a coffee place. Go with oat milk or whatever because Head milk because coffee's a natural laxative, and if I put the dairy on top of yeah. that, uh, it's a countdown clock until the bomb goes off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you'll like, be in the bathroom with our yeah, bathroom no, buddy and nobody wants that. Nobody Aaron's wants studio. that. The bathroom here at the station has already been desecrated enough. I don't need to contribute to that. You know, have you noticed they've brought in like Febreze sprays in the bathroom now? I I went in there the other day to wash my hands, and I'm like, wow, smells smells good in here. See, I think we have someone who's been listening because you mentioned the the cup issue from two days ago that was was fixed somehow overnight. And then last week when I went to the bathroom and it smelled like, oh, my God. Satan did his business in there. Like it was just somebody just went in there and unleashed hell. It smelled like the uh, lacrosse team bus ride. So the texture was talking about yesterday, dude. That was just some kind of stink that like you can't even describe. Like, like light a match or something. If <laughs> if that's if you do that, you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's brutal. Uh, Belton, uh, our man Belton Gringo saying, uh, I ran the same two plays on 2005 NCAA football. Left to right option with Vy and Cedric Benson. A left to right flag route with Lima Swede. One time I scored so many points. It had letters for the score. That's how you know you're running it up wow. in a video game. Uh, a lot of milk defenders coming in, Jeff. You may have to uh defend yourself here. This might be a David or excuse me, a, a Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett situation on the Specs text line right now. People people mad about, about milk. Or just saying that they do drink dinner. Whoa, dude, okay. I didn't uh, I didn't realize um yeah, didn't realize it. Okay, in. let me go through these real quick. I uh, said, so when PETA attacked Steve Irwin, I knew they were not for animals. Yeah. Who would have figured that it's, of all the animals Steve Irwin was around, that a stingray would be the one that brought him down? Yep. I didn't have that in the pot. Somebody said they do drink milk. Said, I drink milk every night with dinner. Carolina Sam says, Jeff, Jeff, just be honest. Uh, you need you need to play. And I got to read it. No, I did not. I did ask Cam. I did not go to the bathroom. I was sitting here on my phone. <laughs> On the Twitter machine and on my computer, was making sure the Longhorn Blitz podcast was posted, which it is, checking horns 24-7. I asked Cam like halfway through that 30-minute break. I'm like, dude, are we close yet or what? I don't know. It's just one of the 36-year-old, and I still hammer some milk, some chocolate milk. Uh, <laughs> Nate, this is, uh, this is right out of a South Park episode. And at one point in time, Cam, in my high school, in Florence High School, was the, one of the biggest. Like, you know how everybody at your high school, you have that incident? There's that incident that everybody talks about. Nate says, I'm just waiting for someone to go number two in the urinal. At Florence High School during my day, that was the big incident. Really? It was right out of of the South Park episode many years later. Who went number two in the urinal? It was a great mystery amongst everybody. The perpetrator was eventually caught. But yes, someone went number two in the urinal. See, my high school, the big event was the student who was on his way with a gun to shoot up the school and was caught by police we had a couple bomb threats so a little bit different uh in the the 20 25 years between our high schools they don't have that problem at gerald high school they just file into the outhouse and somebody has to go in there and clean it probably purple buffalo's daddy has to go in there Mm. and swap it out swap out the bottom of that uh the latrine i wouldn't i wouldn't be saying it if i wasn't if i wasn't telling the truth uh drink milk dudes if you drink buttermilk that's just that's just all kinds of nasty that's a red flag i'm sorry drink okay here's here's the one the one area where I think it's allowed drink milk with spicy foods because if you're eating something that spicy milk can kill it so I'll give you that 
People drink milk with dinner, but they're two years old. Exactly. Like my five-year-old doesn't even drink milk with dinner anymore. She goes for either water or some kind of fruit juice. Uh, this coming from a from a peanut butter hater. Well, I mean, it, I just don't. I just don't think athletes looking to bulk up drink milk. Yeah, that's. <laughs> did you remember? Did you ever subscribe? Yes, Nate, I will give Nate this. That day, we we were a worse school than Gerald. That day, the day that someone just walked up to a nice unsuspecting urinal, dropped trowel, and laid a big old fudge dragon for the whole world to see. It's brutal. Great visual. Did you ever subscribe to uh, Sports Illustrated for kids? Yes, I did. Do you remember all the Got Milk ads? Like, mm-hmm. I remember growing up, and yeah. that's all. They would have, like, seven of those. And they would, they would have the posters, I think, that you could tear out. Oh, God, I miss those Sports Illustrated the, for Kids. Did you ever get the, the trading cards out of Sports Illustrated? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I still have them somewhere. Dude, there's a there's a Tiger Woods card in there from, like, 1995 that fetches a pretty high premium because it is really? considered Tiger's rookie card. card? Yeah. I, they don't do a lot of golf trading cards. Upper Deck. That's really? your brand you want, okay. Upper Deck. Actually, do they uh, upper deck like their SP line? They do some pretty sweet golf cards, like autographs hmm. and stuff. Yeah, you need to get you a Tiger Woods rookie, Cam. You can, yeah. you can get one for I don't know fifty, sixty bucks. Okay, probably would have set you back. Maybe that's where I'll start, Daryl. Yes, the winner of the Indy Five Hundred gets a glass of milk, and oh, that yeah. disgusts me every time I see it. Like after you're think about this, dude. You're in a race car for that long. Do you really want to just milk? You really want milk touching your lips and instantly curdling in your gut? Like, that's no, that's not good, man. That's not cool. That's why they always, like, sip it, you know. It's just a little, like. That better be, like, skim milk or something. Be be the water equivalent. So my grandpa drank buttermilk with pepper on top. Look, people back in the day. People back in the day, they could eat, like, things cooked in lard and, like, drink buttermilk because they were, like, working outside all day. People like me that are behind a desk all day, I don't need to drink milk and buttermilk. Can you imagine how fat I would be? I'm already fat enough. How large I would be if I drank like milk and buttermilk and whatnot. People have a gram of gluten in the in the hospital for a week. People were built different back then. Yeah, because <laughs> you 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 rate you ate what you raised. Like you you grew you know you grew your own vegetables, you your own meat, your own eggs. It was really farm fresh back then because that's all you had. People are like, ooh, it's farm fresh. Yeah. Back then, Farm Fresh was all you had way back when. So props to props to all the uh, the elders listening to this show, or if you know your elders, uh, props to them for the way they live. Uh, but I did outgrow baseball cards. No, and MJ from Hearn, if you uh, real quick card talk before we get the break, uh, asking if I've picked up anything good yet. You see that person, Cam, that said their grandpa drank buttermilk with pepper on top, lived into his 90s. Yep, there you go. Don't think but drinking buttermilk is the secret to life, though. It fit the lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, a real cowboy. Yeah, I believe that. You needed that to put a little meat on your bones during the winter. Um, in, uh, <laughs> Stoner, interesting. Upper Deck and the cousin to the Upper Decker mentioned in the same segment mm. with the urinal talk. I told you, Cam, I lived in an apartment where an Upper Decker was delivered. I've heard that story. Yeah. I like telling it because it grosses people out, and I just – just reminds everybody about the debauchery that I was a part of. I wouldn't I'm part waiting of that for one incident. here in our in our bathroom. At this point, well, that, that would not surprise well, me. Well, the closest thing was during the the ice storm two years ago, where the plumbing That's stopped true, working, yeah. and apparently it just pancakes stacked up in the bathroom. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, but now MJ from Hearn was asking what uh, any good pickups lately. So, long story short, contenders the contenders product. It was used to be playoff contenders. Now it's just panini contenders. 
I'm looking for every Longhorn that has a contender's auto. I'm trying to put that entire run together. I'm about five cards short right now of all, I think it's 50, 55 or 56 cards. I'm about five short. So that's what I've been focusing on right now. So it's good. Once I, I may take pictures of some of that stuff, put it on my Instagram, at JeffHow247 on Instagram. That's where I put all my card content. All right, take a break, come back. Flex update, Longhorn Notebook as we roll along. Hour number two here on Light the Tower, on the Horn, live, local, and digital, on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Craig Webb and Jeff Howe, Light the Tower. I'm going to guess we wouldn't be playing big timers either if Craig was in here today. One of my favorite songs, I think, of all time. This? Yeah. I, I think this is the... Zay and I were having a text conversation about this, and he stopped texting me after this. This might, might be the best album produced by the Cash Money family. Ooh, okay. It's This might be my favorite produced out of the Cash Money cash money family i remember on the way to high school i think my phone was dead or something i don't know i didn't have the ox on found some hip-hop station in charlotte this song was playing i was like hmm okay okay and then eventually it just became one that i just Birdman, man manny fresh manny manny fresh grossly underrated rapper i think he was in austin pretty recently manny fresh was i think for south by. oh south by yeah that makes sense that makes sense. Rolling along, hour number two of Light the Tower on the Horn. Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker. Craig is out today. He'll be back in tomorrow taking care of some THSCA business. Uh, you know what, Cam? Let's go ahead and get to the our Flex update for today. Flex ATX for the best high school sports coverage. Listen to the Horn and go to FLXATX.com. Flex 30 is brought to you by... Brain Vault. Brain Vault is a revolutionary and patented mouth guard that has been proven to help reduce the risk of concussion. Visit BrainVault.com and join the movement. All right, what you, you got anything real quick, Cam? Yeah, some um, some baseball stuff I mentioned at the top of the hour. Uh, Round Rock Dragons clinching district championship. Congrats to Coach Carter in his 20th season. Travis Sakura, his last home district start. Uh, six innings, 11 strikeout, uh, gave up. One run, and I got a shout out to Peyton Dueling Jeff at Cedar Ridge. He plays basketball. I'm pretty sure he plays football. Not too many people can say they had a multi-hit game off Travis Sikora because, well, going into last night, he given up six hits the entire season. So Peyton Dueling, uh, even though Cedar Ridge did lose, shout out to him. And then how about in the 26-6A baseball race, Bowie Bulldogs knocking off Westlake last night, who I believe are ranked number six in the nation for baseball. There's a three-way tie with two weeks or two games left to go in the season between Lake Travis, Westlake, and Bowie Jeff, all tied up at 10-2. and two. So we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, 6A baseball is going to be a really fun ending to the season. So just a few nice. baseball nug- nuggets for you guys. There you have it. Uh, one, I got one flex update real quick, and it involves my alma mater. Okay. Uh, Drew Bridges has been the head coach at Florence High School for a few years now. Uh, he resigned yesterday yep. to take uh, a staff position at Flatonia. Uh Coach Bridges actually sent me a text last night uh, just wanting to let me know that he had resigned and uh, you know he hopes Florence gets a really good replacement because they deserve it. Uh, I'm just going to put this out there. Anybody from my hometown that's listening, if the administration there wants my input or values my input or just doesn't want it, whatever, uh, my, phone, my phone is open. So my DMs are open. You want to reach out, email, whatever. I'm more than willing to... Uh, 
to help in that process. As a matter of fact, I've already had at least one coach reach out to me directly expressing interest in the job. So anybody anybody listening in my hometown, I'm more than willing to uh, to help out. I know I run the Gerald Smack, and, and, and you know, I, I do talk about my hometown and uh, some of it being a tongue-in-cheek manner when we talk about my football days or whatever. But, I, you know, your hometown – it defines who you are. It helps make you. It helps mold you. And in my hometown, helped mold me. I, I really do love that place. Um, so again, anybody in the Florence administration, uh, if you want my two cents, I am more than willing to give it or help in any way I can uh, to find Coach Bridges' replacement. He did a lot of good work in the community there. Uh, I know I've got friends that have kids in school there that said have nothing but good things to say about what he did in terms of trying to get alignment from the top down. So uh, props to him for the job he did there. I, I know it's a tough gig, but. Um, you know, he, he did really good the the years he was there, I think, to try to get that thing on the right track. So shout out to Coach Bridges uh, and best of luck to my alma mater in their search for their next head football coach. All right, that's going to do it for Flex Cam, unless you had anything else for Flex. Are you the Red McCombs of uh, Florence ISD? No, okay. no, not at all. Not at all. Not nearly. Don't have that kind of bankroll. So we, we won't have any uh, reports coming in from an unnamed booster source complaining <laughs> about hires in a year or two? No, you know, when I was running – when I was running the paper there with my dad, I did have a kid's parent stop me in town one time and tell me that I needed to create a quarterback controversy to get his son on the field. Oh my goodness! I was like, "Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to do that. That's that's we're not doing that. It's not going to happen." From the wrong person. And it did, yeah, and it did didn't happen. So not gonna not gonna partake in your schemes, Love there, parents, though, sir, right? sir or madam. What? So you gotta love parents. Yeah, yeah, they're hey man, fight for your kids. I I applaud that, but don't think I'm gonna help you with your shenanigans. Uh no shenanigans when we're talking Longhorn Sports. Let's go ahead and get right into this hour's edition of the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Uh Cam, I had a question. I forgot who asked it on Specs Text Line. I, I apologize. It might have been John in the Bay. Um basically asking when we're talking about two year transfers, multi year transfers for football. Do you need, do you want the same thing for basketball? I think in a perfect world, yes, for basketball. And I bring this up because Caden Shedrick is a is a guy that's got multiple years of eligibility left. He's a two year guy. In a perfect world, you would like guys that have multiple years left. But basketball, it, it's so it's so different that you know maybe sometimes you do have to take a one year guy, even if he's not the missing piece. And you know, the further down the road you get. At some point, at some point in time, it just becomes, hey, can you can you field a roster? Like, can you just add a, a piece for some bench depth or something and get a guy in here for a year? So, I think in a perfect world, yes. But basketball, I think you've got a little more wiggle room because there's so much roster turnover. I think it's all situational, right? Look at Sir, yeah. Sir Jabari Rice. He was he he might go down as one of the best transfers for Texas and program history but then you even, have even, guys i'll like, say this even if you look at the one and duns texas has had like nothing's going to compare to kevin durant's one year yeah no but if you look at the other one and duns yeah uh, set kevin durant aside jabari rice might have had the best one year career ever yeah. at texas I, I i would back you up on that like, i forget was was maurice evans only here i think maurice evans was only here for years a really good year I think I know he had to sit out one year for transfer and then played one. Mo might have only played one year, but yeah, Jabari Rice in that conversation. I'm sorry, Cam. Go ahead. No, but besides that, I mean, Marcus Carr, Tyrese Hunter, multi-year transfers. Um, Nigel Pack, he's gonna he has one more year left at Miami, right? I believe so. Yeah. So I mean, it seems like the two year is the way to go. But again, like back to our discussion about offensive linemen, it's like sometimes you just need that missing piece, and you know, hey, 
Jabari Rice came in. He was that missing piece, that glue guy mm-hmm. for the Texas basketball team. And this season probably does not happen without Jabari Rice. So for um for Cedric out, out of Virginia, I mean, having him as one or two years, that's helpful because then that is something that if a guy does end up transferring out, and we've seen Texas lose a few transfers this season, you have an insurance policy for the year after that. Yeah, he's uh, – Caden Shedrick, his official to Texas is done. He's on his – he's actually – uh, I've seen some reports. He's actually at Missouri right now. He's already made his way to to Columbia for his uh, his official visit to Missouri, uh, and then he's going to finish with another trip to Duke. Duke is going to be really tough to beat, but yep. uh, I think Texas has done you know what they've needed to do, everything they could do uh, for him on the visit. And again, they were on him from the minute he jumped in the portal. So yeah, again, Texas. I said if you set aside Kevin Durant. Take him out of the conversation. We're talking about Jabari's one year being better. And by yeah, Maury Sevens uh did only play the one year at Texas. Was was really good though that one year. Uh averaged about sixteen points a game, uh a little over five rebounds, one point three assists and steals per game, shot thirty eight percent, thirty nine percent from three. So Mo Evans was good, but Jabari Rice Really, really good for this team that was 10 minutes away from a Final Four. Uh, Caden Shedrick on his way to uh, at Missouri right now. Um, I think for Texas, the next – not the next because I know the staff's already working on it from what I've been told. Can you get Max Acemas on campus? Can you get him in for an official visit? If you, I think it's one of those deals that's almost like once the first one happens, then everything else will kind of fall into place. If Texas can get Max Acemas in the boat – then I think you'll start to see some things kind of start to really go their way in the portal. It's been a little slow right now, but you're, and the other thing, you know, you don't want to just load up on guys right now because you're going to continue to have guys that enter the portal once they get done with school or they figure some things out or whatever. Uh, you know, you're the, there's going to be other guys jumping the portal, you know, this month and, uh, through the end of this month and through May, again, this guys graduate. So, uh, just keep some spots open. But Max Acemas is definitely at the top of the list for Texas in terms of their priorities and things they need to get done. I want to direct you to Horns 24-7 for a few things. Uh, The Stampede was posted on Monday. That's Mike Roach and Hudson Standish, their weekly collection of insider recruiting news notes and nuggets. Uh, The uh, top 247 for the class of 2025 was updated today, so we've got to look at where things stand, uh, where the Texas targets are ranked in the uh, latest updated rankings for the class of 2025. I mentioned my colleague Chip Brown, his column this morning on Trill Carter. Uh, Plenty of transfer portal talk. We're tracking the roster, the comings and goings of the Texas roster throughout, you know, the really since the the fall portal window opened. Uh, plenty of recruiting notes. We've got a note on Max Asmus on the site. So, and the Longhorn Blitz podcast is live. It's gone live within the last hour. So, plenty of stuff for you to digest at Horns 24-7. Uh, I'll tell you what, Cam, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll clean up the text line uh, and get ready to close out this edition of Light the Tower. On the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Closing out a Wednesday edition of Life the Tower. Jeff Howe, Cameron Parker, Craig will be back tomorrow. Thank you for a little MOP, Cam. I appreciate that. You fired up for your Wednesday. This is back in my angry days. Yeah. 
I was back when I was listening to a lot of Lip Biscuit also, which as I've gotten older and you go back and listen to some new metal, you realize, wow, this is this is arbitrary noise, right? Yep. Now this still goes hard. I still still dig me some MOP. Um Let's go ahead and clean up the text line. You know what, Camo? Since since you do follow recruiting, and we you are a recruit, Nick. I was looking at uh, our crystal ball predictions. Mm-hmm. Like anytime there's a Texas target, the crystal ball prediction will show up on the front page at Horns twenty four seven, regardless of uh, whether our staff entered it or not. And there have been two crystal ball picks logged for uh, Aaron Hampton out of Dangerfield, who was committed to Texas at one point, was committed to Baylor at one point. Uh, a couple crystal ball picks logged for him. One to Alabama, and one to UTSA. <laughs> like that's a pretty. Uh, no disrespect to UTSA. I love Jeff Trailer. They've they've got a great program, but that's a pretty wide berth that tells you about how hard a kid's recruitment is to read. When you got one crystal ball for Bama and one for UTSA, that's a recruitment that probably won't be over with until his uh, his contract or whatever you call it. With what's the the uh, signature? It's, the National letter of intent. Yes, the NIL NLI, NLI. gets uh, gets faxed in. You could just go some. LOI just to make it easier. LOI letter of intent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's clean up some things on the spec section. Boy, Nate is uh, Nate is obsessed with with uh, feces today. Just I'm getting all kinds of texts from Nate. He's accusing. Said Bucky's the kind of guy that would do that in the urinal. I don't. I don't. I, well, Bucky did. Uh, Bucky did do it. By a tree at one point in time. Um, Stoner says the success of our veteran heavy team uh, the rest of the season after Beard left has clouded our reality that we are starting over as a program. I, Stoner, I just think that's the reality of college basketball right now. I mean, go look around the Big 12. It's not like everybody else in the Big 12 just had, like, Jerome Tang, I think it, at, when he when he had all the defections, I think he had only two players returning. He had to build that roster from scratch pretty much last year. He's having to do the same thing again this year. You know, Kansas is having a reload. Baylor, big time, is having a reload. Houston, probably not as much as some other schools, but look around the conference, look around the country. There's a lot of people, a lot of teams that are having a reload this year. It's the reality of the new college basketball. That's just how it's going to be for until either regulations get added in or the NBA does something different with their professional role. That This is just how it's going to be every season with the yeah. transfer portal now. What what would you like to see, Kim? Would you like to see basketball do what baseball has done, where if yeah. if you go to college, then you've got to stay like I think three. I think is unrealistic, but you've got to stay for at least two. Yeah, I think it makes it more interesting because the the issue with college basketball when when college basketball was at its peak, right? It was when you had guys that had to stay the two three years when college basketball players became named players. Now, if you find any random person, ask them, hey, name one college basketball player. They're going to name somebody? No, unless it's a Sion Williamson type. That's gone. And I think if you go back to what it used to be where either you got to play two years or you go directly to the pros, then I think that's going to help college basketball as a sport because really there's an identity issue, I think, in college basketball right now. I mean, I can you know, I can think back to when I was in my prime window of watching college basketball pretty much like from, let's say, 92 to probably 05, 06 in there. I mean, I can, I can name you players like starting with, you know, Christian Leitner, Grant yeah. Hill, the Fab Five, all the way like to Corliss Williamson at Arkansas, Ed O'Bannon, that UCLA team, you know, Ron Mercer, Antoine Walker at Kentucky. They just go on down the list. I mean, Juan Dixon in that Maryland team. He had Carmelo Anthony and Jerry McNamara and 
Queth Dwayne and Akeem Warwick on the Syracuse team to beat Texas in the Final Four. How many high school kids or middle school kids now could tell you, like, the starting five of the UConn team that just won the national title? No. Or could tell you the, the starting five of anybody that was in the Final Four yep. this year? Yeah, just so I, I would just, whatever's going to grow college basketball, I'm all for. And if that's what it takes. See, I opened, man, I opened Pandora's box on mentioning Bucky and, and the bathroom. Yeah, Bucky wrapped it in tinfoil and tried to give it away like a baked potato. Yeah, uh, there's the the legendary baked potato story. See, this is the debauchery part, Cameron, that I knew we were going to get into today. So, um, like I said, Craig will be back tomorrow. Any Cam, anything you want to get to before we start wrapping it up here? It's been fun, Jeff. I always enjoy these shows. Full of debauchery. Uh, Manny Fresh was DJing one of the final four days outside of the stadium in Houston. That I would have... I would have gone to the Final Four just for Manny Fresh. Like even if Texas was in, I'd be like, forget work. I want to see Manny Fresh. CB's a big fan of Still Fly and get your roll on. Cam, people loving the return cuts today. So this text says, can't wait to chase for Bijan's card, even if he goes to the Cowboys. I will be chasing me some Bijan Robinson for sure. Uh, and then somebody says, my 99-year-old grandmother drinks buttermilk and drinks the juice out of a can of green beans. Ugh. That is hardcore. But again, if you're 99, I guess you know the secret to life. You've done, you've done something right with your 99 years on this planet. Yeah, Cam, this is a lot of fun today. Again, Craig will be back tomorrow. Just a heads up, I'm going to be out on Friday. So Friday will be Cam and Craig solo. What do we do on Friday, Cam? Low-hanging fruit, baby. We're going to pick it. Go grab that low-hanging fruit from the most flaccid state in the lower 48 on a Florida Friday. I won't be here for that, but... Uh, I'll be here tomorrow when it's the three of us back uh, as one group. Thank you guys so much for your participation on the Specs text line. Stay tuned. Chad and Zay coming up next at the top of the hour. For the absent Craig Way, for Cameron Parker, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back tomorrow to light the tower on the horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.